I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Ninety-five percent of people who engage in online learning are likely to drop out. In this episode, Lorenz Sell shares how it's possible to listen deeply online in ways that may surprise you and in turn gain 100% engagement. Lorenz is the co-founder of Sutra, an all-in-one course and community solution for heart-centered educators. He has spent almost two decades building technology companies and has a deep interest on how software can be used to cultivate meaningful connection online. Sutra has supported programs at the Harvard Program in Refugee Trauma, leadership programs at the UN, and the Presencing Institute, as well as many other organizations and individuals. Together with his partner and co-founder, Lorenz has helped hundreds of people create impactful learning experiences online. He is a certified yoga teacher and received a degree in computer engineering from Tufts University. Enjoy listening in. Welcome, Lorenz, to the Listen In podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me here today. Raquel, it's so good to be with you here. So I often start this podcast by asking uh, a simple question and taking you back in time. And could you tell me about the moment you remember noticing listening? Mm, that's a beautiful question. I, I remember very specifically the experience when I began to discover listening as, as a thing. And that was through my experience with the Presencing Institute's ULAB program. I did that in 2015. And they had a big emphasis on what they call the four levels of listening. Four levels articulate these. What I found from that experience was that they suggested a way of measuring listening that made it tangible for me and that opened up that space. And it really led to my discovery of this thing called listening as more than just what I had casually thought of it as before, which is I think what most people kind of, you know, listening is just something that happens in the ears. And so that, that whole experience opened up a much broader territory for me, which then, which then kind of integrated with my interest in yogic practice, and just this kind of deeper realization that listening was pretty much where it's at. So just so that our audience um, knows, basically, um, <laughs> you have a degree in computer engineering. You're an engineer. Yeah. And so you have also spent a long time, <laughs> decades, or a couple decades, building technology companies. And so you've got this problem-solving engineering brain, right? 
And so when you take that into consideration and then you think about, you thought that listening was just in your ears. And then you had this experience through the Presencing Institute and ULAB, which for the listeners here, we can put a link to that in the podcast notes so that you can explore that a little bit more. They have these four levels of listening. And the one is just the normal listening. Um, and when I listen, the first level, I'm listening to what I already know. The second one is listening and, and listening to something new. The third one has to do with empathy and putting myself in the other person's shoes. And the fourth one is called generative listening. And this is where, and this might happen in this conversation, that as we have this conversation, there's something that is new that merges from us having this uh, listening experience together. So we both on one level don't know and something new shows up, new information, new ideas or whatever. So going back to you, do you remember the moment that you first heard of these four levels of listening? And when did you really experience what those levels meant for you? Yeah, I remember the moment I first heard of the four levels of listening. And, you know, I, I guess a quick side note about how it, that became relevant for me is I used to be really into bodybuilding and spending a lot of time in the gym and with my body gave me is a deep relationship with my body and also with the food that I put into my body, specifically through periods of my life when I was trying to get to some ridiculous body fat percentage and counting every calorie. What I got from that whole experience was that when you can measure something, it's not about having to always do that, but, but the experience of measuring every calorie that I put into my body has given me a lasting awareness of my relationship to food. And so similarly with, with listening, with the four levels of listening and what the Presencing Institute kind of offers and suggests is, is, is like measuring your listening day to day according to those four levels. It's not that that practice has to be done forever, but doing that practice even for a few weeks or a few days really opens up a really big awareness around listening. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So basically, you took these four levels, mm -hmm. and then you tracked how you listened for a period of time. Yeah. And you were surprised. And what surprised you? I don't know if surprise is quite the right word. Mm -hmm. um, I just began to bring awareness to, to the quality of my awareness. And I began to understand that listening, some, so, yeah, so it's hard to say this, this thing that I began to do. There's a, there's a process that began and there's a process of my awareness gradually expanding to notice things beyond just what came into my ears, to notice my internal landscape, to notice my emotional landscape, my physical landscape, and to see all those as, as functions of, of receptivity, which I personally broadly call them, them all listening. And then to kind of with the listening levels to, to begin to see, you know, there's this downloading, there's the factual, there's the empathic, there's the generative, and to see those different qualities opening up with the listening. So with the empathic to see that I could really listen to a person, at, you know, with a level of empathy, I could really put myself there. And that was something that I could practice. And I remember very specifically on the generative side, I was speaking with um, Adam forget his name right now, but he was heavily I think involved. I it's Yukelson. Yukelson, yeah. yes. Adam Yukelson, yeah. who was heavily involved with 
the Presencing Institute for a number of years. And we were talking about generative listening. And I was like, you know, I'm having a hard time really grasping the definition that you guys offer, you know, something like something new was generated. And he was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really simple. It's, it's when you listen to what can emerge, you know, the highest future possibility that can emerge. And there was something for me that really landed in that moment. And then I've really carried with myself, you know, whenever I'm, uh, and for me, listening is like a practice that I get to step into every, in every conversation, every moment of every day. But when I'm really bringing those levels of listening to awareness and I'm with a person, I'm like, oh, so I can listen to this person empathically, really be where they are. But I can also listen to this broader situation. I can listen to, you know, what's the highest possibility that can emerge between us? And I can, I can tune into that. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful way to look at it. And how you talk about that it's a practice that you, you can do in every moment or with every person. And that having also this time period where you were just paying attention to what happens over every day for a period of time really made a big impact on not only your awareness, but perhaps your, your how you listen and what you listen to and building that muscle <laughs> that you built in the gym. Now. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so you went through um, the U Lab, and that was a couple of months, and you started paying attention to listening and daily and measuring it according to these levels and learning a lot about yourself, your internal landscape, what happens with others when you listen in these ways, what happens when people listen to you in this way, because there's a lot of practicing that happens with others in in during this class, and then. You got inspired to see, is this possible to bring what I'm discovering here, specifically the generative listening, into the online environment? I, I remember the first time we spoke, you're like, is it possible to bring this generative <laughs> listening, what happens um, online? Is it possible? Yeah, I think what, what really opened up for me, so so the backstory to all this is is really that you know, I had a mystical experience that really brought my awareness to, to the possibility of peace and how you know, this, this deep sense that I wanted to be in service of peace on earth. And, and you know, of course, like, that's very broad and what does that even mean? But, but it, it was very real for me and it started this inquiry into what does that mean? And, and what really emerged for me in, through the ULAB experience, through my introduction to, to listening was that ultimately in my worldview, the path to peace was, was a deep listening. The path to peace was cultivating a capacity to truly receive one another, to, to truly listen at a much deeper level. And so that, that, really be, that really shaped my inquiry into the possibility of doing that kind of work online, you know, because I've been the tech entrepreneur since 2004. And so for me, the question has always been, you know, how can technology be used to to be in, in service of peace, and you know, and, and what does that mean in a in a very tangible and concrete sense? And so that really opened up this inquiry for me around how do you cultivate deeper levels of listening? How can a person discover listening? How can a person practice listening? And how can that happen in an online context? And. So I'm sure this is something that we will be trying to figure out forever, <laughs> for a lifelong. But where where are you now 
in answering that question. What is it that you know now? Because you've done a lot of work and and maybe you can um, weave that into what you're doing with Sutra. Yeah, I think, I, and, and a lot of this really was inspired by my early experiences with the, with the Presencing Institute. So when I took their course, their ULAB course in 2015, I think they had 30,000, maybe more people taking the course and they broke us up into groups of five people. And it was one of the first times that I'd experienced a very deep level of connection with strangers online. And so it really crystallized this, this idea for me that the way that people feel connected is through small groups. But what it, what it, what my relationship with small groups has, has also really opened up is that a, a small group really provides a vehicle for practicing these qualities like deep listening, empathy, holding space, sensing, attunement. Like these are things that you can't really read about in a book and you really need safe spaces, safe containers where you can practice them. And sometimes, I mean, you can practice them every day in, you know, in everyday life, but especially if this is at an early level of development, the practice, the discovery, like first, first a person has to discover it, has to actually discover that listening is a thing. So just like I did, right? If you don't know that listening is a thing, you can't really practice it. So once the awareness of that is there and somehow that awareness happens through a direct experience, we're like, oh, wow, this is something more than what I thought it was. Then it's like, how, how is that practiced and cultivated and, or somehow supported? And so for, for me, the, the answer to that is really revolved around small group experiences where people have an opportunity to step into a direct experience where there's a safe space and an invitation to bring awareness to to their awareness, to bring awareness to the people they're with, to feel what it's like to be deeply listened to. So the, a lot of the work that, that we do today really looks at how do you create these kinds of experiences. And and so that that is a very complex subject. And that's really been the heart of our work over the last five years. Because it's 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 complex because you know, so my company is called Sutra, and, and I always say like Sutra doesn't magically create meaningful connection as a as a technology platform. That there's um, that there's an an intersection of the process, the way that people are brought together, whether it's in a Zoom call or you know some kind of like face to face context, and then what happens in an online discussion space, and then what might happen with individual assignments. There's there's an overall container that's very specific to the nature of the online world, as in that's different from how it might work in in in-person. And I, I think that's a really important distinction to get is that online isn't necessarily better or worse than in-person, but things work differently online. There are just different attributes of the experience to be worked with to to create a container where people can practice deep levels of communication and presence with each other. So, so that's really the heart of kind of the opening uh, of this thread of, you know, how do you, how do you introduce people to listening online? Yeah. Well, what I think is really interesting about what you're saying is that, you know, often people think of listening as one-on-one, -on -one, you know, but you're talking about how that the, the power of discovering listening and experiencing it in small groups. And I'm with you on that one. I think that there's really a lot of power in, in some smaller groups. There is power with one-on-one, -on -one, but there's also something with smaller groups. If it's done in a way where all voices can be heard and listened to, right? So everybody has a chance. And also the small groups and what you're talking about is how to create direct experiences. And these direct experiences are online are a combination of perhaps 
calls on Zoom, face-to-face or whatever, and also um, what happens afterwards in the discussion. So there's lots of levels here on how to create these deep levels of communication in what you're talking about. And so you say that you had this experience through the Presencing Institute, which was an online course, but yet you connected with people from all over the world and had this amazing experience. And now taking this and and translating or seeing what to what you can do to develop that feeling, that experience in Sutra, which helps basically has um, maybe in a few moments you can describe what Sutra does. But um, you said that it's not better or worse, but the experience, it's different online. And could you give me some examples of what is different and what you've learned about creating experiences for deep levels of communication? Yeah. So, I mean, your one very simple difference is let's say you're used to running weekend workshops with people and, you know, you have a group of people in a room with you for many hours, you know, like a whole day, eight hours. Um, can't do that online. You can't, you can't run it. I mean, you can, but it's going to be really painful. You know, you can't run an eight hour workshop on Zoom. That's, that's, a, that's a very challenging experience. And so similarly, you, you might have people in a room for eight hours and their cell phones are in their bags and you have their undivided attention. You have people on a Zoom call, they're in the middle of their homes. There might be kids running around. There might be all sorts of things going on. There might be all sorts of notifications and things uh, on their computer. So it's, it's a you know very different environment. But I think it's really important to recognize that just because of those differences doesn't mean that it's not a very powerful environment to work with. It's just that those differences have to be accounted for. And when they are, when expectations are, are properly, say, communicated so that, you know, when people are on a Zoom call, you really create a container around the invitation to be present, to set aside uh, distractions, to be in a space, you know, without... Uh, maybe people around you or noise around you to, you know, turn off your notifications and your cell phone or or whatever, like all all of these things that might be taken for granted in an in-person space are things that might need to be spoken to directly in an online space. And, and And this is also going to be different with every context, with every group of people. So as a person who's who might be getting into this work, we'll soon discover like things come up in the online space, things come up in a Zoom call. And as they do, you, you just learn how to deal with them. And, and my suggestion is always that the way to deal with anything is through communication, that, that anything that comes up is, is, is actually becomes part of what there is to learn from, what there is to listen to, what there is to really work with, and actually becomes an entry point for, for connection by virtue of that authenticity, right? So when there's something that comes up, whether, you know, for example, another thing is that online learning experiences are notorious for attrition. You know, as in you'll like, I think the statistic is like 95% of people who engage in an online learning experience end up dropping out of it. So every experience that we run, I always start with that statistic. I always say, listen, you know, 95% of the the people that participate in an online learning experience are, are likely to drop out. And the invitation is here for all of us, you know, for the group of people I'm working with to, to really reflect on how we want to show up and be committed to this experience and have a conversation about that and really open up 
that as a as a space that invites people to be deeply authentic with with what's there for them. So if you're running an in-person experience where you have people's undivided attention for a week or for several weekends, that kind of attrition is much less of a factor. It doesn't need to be dealt with. And so that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm talking about as in like some just very simple differences between what you have to work with in in-person experiences versus online experiences. But but when those are really recognized and and worked with, there's really a tremendous amount of potential that becomes available. The way that you can take a weekend workshop and break it up into, you know, several two-hour sessions across several weeks or, or or several months and the way that you can access people from all over the world in a way that's extremely uh, accessible, that uh, can be extremely cost efficient, you know, so now people don't have to travel, they don't have to fly anywhere. So there's a, there's a lot of benefits to, to being able to work online. And when you really understand how to work with, with the parameters of, of the online space, you can really create very deep experiences that, that do actually invite very deep levels of presence and listening. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'd love you to just describe Sutra and what Sutra does and how you are incorporating, um, creating this, this container for deep levels of communication, of learning. Hmm. Yeah, and, and container is, is, a, is a really good word because that's, that's at, at heart, that's really what, what Sutra offers. So Sutra was, again, it was very much inspired by our experience with the Presencing Institute and, and just this discovery of the power of small groups. And I remember in 2015, I came out of that experience and I went to my wife and I was like, you know, there's something really here. Because we, at that point, we'd already spent five years just working through different startup projects and experimenting with a lot of stuff, really trying to understand, you know, how, how, to, what we, how to bring more love and connection into the world and specifically, you know, how to connect people within communities to share knowledge and resources and, and that we weren't really finding anything that was landing. And so we, when I had the, the, the experience with the ULAB, it really crystallized for me this power of small groups. And so I went to Natasha and I was like, you know, I want to work with small groups. I want to create some software to make it really easy to, to work with small groups within a community. And, and so I wrote the first line of code in, in early 2015. And we just started iterating. And the first couple of years was actually pretty much crickets. We had very poor engagement. And we had, uh, in 2016, we had an opportunity to work with the Harvard program in refugee trauma. And they had an adult education program for professionals working in high trauma situations, um, a seven-month blended learning program that started two weeks in person and then seven months online, and, uh, and also small group oriented. And so they were looking to upgrade their online learning infrastructure. And, and so we, at that time, we weren't really doing learning. We were just doing small groups, kind of community stuff. And we, uh, we adapted our software a little bit to support learning and small group learning, and we had really high levels of engagement. I think we had like 100% engagement in that course. Uh-huh. And so we were like, wow, like, and it really crystallized. And it's funny because in retrospect, I was really resistant to the idea. I don't talk about this <laughs> much, but, but you know, we were going in all these meetings with them and, and Natasha helped start the program 10 years earlier. Uh, my wife, Natasha, who's my, who's my co-founder and business partner. And she's, she's got a degree in, um, a master's degree in education from Harvard. So, you know, she's got a background in education. I was like, yeah, I, I, this is a community platform. It's not a learning platform. I was really resistant to it. Um, but, you know, we kind of just decided to go there as an experiment. And 
Yeah. And so we had really high levels of engagement and, and it really crystallized this idea that learning can be a catalyst for connection. So all of our, all of our work today is really looking at this intersection of learning in small groups with deeper levels of awareness. And the most basic thing that Sutra provides is, is really an overall container for an experience. Most of the experiences on Sutra are people running a series of Zoom calls. And so they want a, a place to put their Zoom recordings, a place to put um, additional content, a place to host discussions between Zoom calls, and just an overall kind of container for everything related to the group experience. Can you explain to our audience, because there's probably other places where they can do that too, but there's something different here at Sutra. Can you explain how you have, I don't know if organized is the right word, but organize the online discussions? Because I think that's really unique. Yeah, I think, I think that the heart of, of all of our work really revolves around this theory that the way that transformation happens is in spaces where there is a deep level of presence, where people become present to themselves and each other. And the way that that happens is, is when the space of awareness between a group of people begins to open up. So, you know, when I can surface some deeper aspects of myself or listen to what people are sharing or somehow become more aware of what's in the space between us, that, that invites a deeper quality of presence, which leads to connection and leads to some form of transformation. And the way that that happens is through conversation, right? In, in the work that we do is, is through conversation. It's, it's through kind of deeper levels of conversation where these things can open up. So Sutra is very much designed around creating these kinds of conversations. And, and the way that these kinds of conversations happen is through small groups, right? It's very hard to have an intimate conversation with 100 people, much easier with 10 groups of 10 people, or better yet, 20 groups of five people. And so Sutra is really designed around this idea of intimacy in small groups and being able to work with that and scale it. I think a lot of, obviously, there's no shortage of different platforms for groups and, and communities and, you know, that kind of stuff. But almost all of those platforms that I've seen are optimized for activity. And what that means is, you know, you can have a Facebook group with 100 people in it and there's a lot of activity, but there's very little meaningful intimacy. Or depth. Or depth, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and even people might be sharing really deep kind of personal stuff. But for me, it's like, what is the quality of relationship that's there? Right? That's the key thing. What is the relational aspect that's present when a person is sharing a post on Facebook and all these people are saying, oh, I feel you, you know, and versus when that happens in, in a small group with, say, five people, a person shares something. And there's an opportunity for a very deep quality of empathy and connection and, and presence. And, and so I think the, one of the key distinguishing characteristics of Sutra is, is the way that it's first really designed around conversations and second, really designed to work with groupings of smaller people, making it very flexible and easy to, to work with lots of small groups. For example, um, right now we're supporting the, the, the Presencing Institute's ULAB 2X program, and they have 400 teams participating and each of those teams can have anywhere from a handful of people to several dozen. But each of those teams is on, uh, is, and, so, and, and they're running the program on Sutra. And each of those teams has their own little group space on Sutra. So there's 400 little group spaces on Sutra. And that's, I mean, that's a very large program. Like the majority of our programs tend to be much smaller. They're, they're you know, many of the people on our platform are just individuals that are hosting a group that might have anywhere from 10 to 40, 50 people 
But Sutra just makes it really easy to to organize those people into meaningful discussion spaces. So just so just to give a picture for people who are listening, that means that on this platform, even if you were to let's say have a class and then you have fifty participants. It's organized so that you can take these 50 participants and put them into small group where they actually are having a, a discussion online within their small group, you know, which is a little different compared to what you were saying with Facebook, where it's kind of this list, you know, where people just kind of keep adding and it keeps going down the list where this is within your space that this small group is, um, you know, writing, you know, their discussion and that it's even possible for when you are in this group and you're having this this dialogue that you're able to highlight what you find, the gold nuggets that you find are important and um, that it starts pulling out what really sticks into another space where then you can get to that next level of, of dialogue. So if you imagine in person where you have a group of people who start brainstorming ideas and there's lots of stuff there, but then all of a sudden then you start narrowing it down and pulling out what really sticks and keep going deeper and deeper until you know what really is most important or more, most uh, meaningful. That's at least how I understand, mm. have seen how that might, that might work. I don't know if you have another experience or would describe it differently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what you're, so there's two aspects here. One is, is just being able to have a conversation. And two is being able to harvest what is emerging out of that conversation. And, and I think this really speaks to this second order of potential with, with a group is, is that one of the ways that people can feel deeply connected is when they create something together, right? So what might be called co-creation, um, when we create something together with a small group of other people, there's something that emerges through that process that opens up, a, that can open up a very deep space of connection and presence with each other. And one of the lowest hanging fruits for that in our context is shared understanding. So if we can have a conversation and something can emerge out of that, that there's some sort of shared understanding of actually some capture, you know, a conversation is, can be a relatively unstructured and, and chaotic space. And that's the beauty of it. You know, that's the beauty of having a podcast is, is that you and I have a conversation and, it, and it's, it's that unpredictability of it that gives the magic to it, that allows for something to be spoken or phrased in a, in, in a new way that, you know, that, that is just like perfect or, you know, really captures something. And, and so similarly in an online space, like what, what we aspire to do is have these kinds of deeper conversations where there's an opportunity for people to share at a meaningful level but then to actually capture that. And the way we have a feature called tagging, which allows you to basically retroactively tag things that people share with just little little labels that then can be sorted and, and, and worked with and looked at. But really looking at how do you kind of harvest and capture what people are sharing into some form of shared understanding. You know, I was just thinking about, you know, how people are using visual artists more and more in workshops, mm -hmm. you know, to capture... And this is totally a gift to be able to listen and capture those nuggets that they hear. You know, there's a there's a real gift in that. And then afterwards, when people go back and look at the nuggets that were pulled out of what just happened, then it really anchors, it really sinks in. And then usually, you know, we're surprised, oh, that's what happened in our conversation. Like not, <laughs> we don't realize that happens. And I could imagine that the tagging has a similar experience than to go and look what was tagged by the different people in this group. Hmm then to notice, oh, this is what just happened in this conversation, you know? 
I love that. I actually haven't mm-hmm. thought about that that way, and I, I I really love that. I love that reference to the. I know there's lots of different terms for it. Scribing is is mm-hmm. one of the terms for people who are drawing while while there's a conversation, and 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 for me, that's that's an incredible supplement to listening. Is is that you can after a conversation sit with the visual of that conversation and somehow there's a resonance that 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 can emerge that really can deepen a quality of, of receptivity a deepen a quality of listening to to that overall conversation well i think it also helps us to listen to what we just said what just happened mm. <laughs> often we're so busy thinking about you know we're so into this the that moment that we don't re- always realize everything. It's the same thing, to be honest, with these podcasts. Sometimes I'll listen to what comes out afterwards. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I, know exa- I know exactly what <laughs> I didn't what realize you, you just said that. <laughs> and I don't remember asking that, <laughs> you know, or that person said that. That's really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. and, that, and that really speaks to what I just said about, you know, what, what, comes, what can come out of a conversation. You, there's something about that, that chaos, and I mean that in, in the best way possible, but the unstructuredness of it. And maybe that's that generative quality, you know, that there's that there is something that can be generated in the spontaneity of a conversation that is actually really powerful. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting what you're doing, trying to also bring that into an online space and yet recognizing that it's not one that's better or one that's worse. But how do we create this deeper connection with what we have to work with and how also do we really, I don't know if embrace is the right word, but to to take the current circumstances with working from home, with, you know, having family, with all these other stuff into consideration. And and that's also part of the process too, you know, between the Zoom calls, all the way to the discussion, all the way to tagging out these gold messages to see where the conversation is taking us, to have time to let it, you know, sink in, um, to feel a certain common connection within a group where we are able to learn from each other and learn beyond each other. Yeah, and and it's a it's a it's such a complex territory online. You know, I, I want to really emphasize that there is. We always say that there isn't a magic pill formula to to do all that, but it, that it's that it's really a process of prototyping and, and iteration because the, the the magic of it comes from the aliveness of it, and the aliveness of it is a function of it not being entirely rigid and formulaic you know so it's not a book it's not it's not a book that you just like it's not a checklist (laughs) it's not a checklist (laughs) there can be a checklist of things that you know approaches but that ultimately really understanding how to generate these deeper qualities of conversational engagements online is a very iterative process that's going to be different from community to community you know body of work to body of work and then there's the differences between doing that with say people on a zoom call and then inviting a deep quality of communication and interaction in a text-based discussion space and those are those are going to be very different aspects and there's and there's a lot of prototyping and iteration that can take place in understanding how they work in a particular context and and how you know how you can really invite a group of people to commit and invest the time to contribute meaningfully to to a text-based conversation. So there's there's definitely an art form to it. You know, I'd love to see this um, happen in an organization between teams. I know that you're in the learning environment so far, but I wonder, you know, what would happen? Because 
I was, you know, just thinking about a lot of the people using email or on Slack, you know, and I'm just thinking it, it doesn't really have that generative quality, what you're talking about. And there's can also be a lot of misunderstandings and, <laughs> and, and you know, challenges that show up under those circumstances. And, you know, so, okay, you're, you're, you know, you write code. <laughs> um, I have a lot of clients that write code. <laughs> In my, in my life. Um, and I was just thinking from this experience that you have, where you're able to start creating, let's say code that actually creates connection. <laughs> I don't know if they're code, code that creates connection and trying to find ways to have impact, you know, in a deeper impact, this, this, you know, you want to have impact on peace in the world and you want to have impact on creating deep levels of communication. Um, so there's a lot of deep thought put into the work that you're doing. If you would love to influence other software engineers or to give any advice of, of younger you know, engineers that are just getting started on how they might have impact, um, how their code might have impact on, on deep connection, what would you say to them? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Boy, I didn't get you ready for this question. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's, I think each person has their own journey. And so if I'm going to give advice, I just want to preface that to say that, you know, wherever a person is with their journey, that, you know, just to honor that. But if there is an aspiration, you know, not every person needs to have an aspiration to, to have an impact on on the world or anything like that. But if there is an aspiration uh, for a person to do so, to really find what's meaningful to them and to engage in that inquiry um, very earnestly because that that inquiry can be you know an adventure it can be a challenging road full of uh, ups and downs you know on 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 my journey there's been a lot of downs you know i went through personal bankruptcy at one point and all through just really this relentless relentless commitment to, to this work. And I've, I've lived in my car for a year on the streets of San Francisco uh, to continue working on my startup. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend that for, for others, but it works for my personality, right? So, <laughs> but but, but I, I think it's there for each person to discover what is meaningful in their lives and then to find a pathway to that that works for them, that allows them to really maintain the integrity of who they are, which is in itself a process of discovery. You know, who are you and what's meaningful and what do you, what do you want to create with your life? And so I think if you're a programmer or really anybody with an aspiration to, to somehow be in service to others or, or to do something meaningful, I think it, it, it's very, I think it really begins with what is meaningful to you? You know, what are you really willing to be committed to? And then bringing that into the world through prototyping. I mean, just to put it as like practically and simply as I can um, through prototyping, you know, by, by, I'd say if there's one thing that I would consider a huge, huge mistake or, you know, like would advise against is having a big idea and then just going all out on the big idea and, you know, investing millions of dollars in it or, or whatever without, really taking an iterative approach to it and finding, okay, like, here's what's meaningful to me. And I'm not sure exactly what this looks like or how it works, but I'm going to test it. I'm going to, you know, take the next three months or something and put something together. And then I'm going to involve real people. And we're going to, we're going to just work with 
a prototype and continue iterating on that. And that also can be a very long and, and, and sometimes challenging journey. And that's why it's important that whatever it is, is ultimately um, meaningful to you. I love that. And so you, um, on your journey, you've done, you've learned the the tough lessons. And I love this advice, um, you know, have your idea, but then start start smaller and testing things out, bringing in people too. I'd like to fast forward uh, to something that you're currently doing because, you know, when I remember, well, at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about when you were talking about the Harvard program, you had this community platform and the idea of doing a learning platform, you're like, what? (laughs) You were a little bit resistant. And now basically that now it's thriving in that learning environment. You know, if you think back then and where you are now with Sutra and you've learned a lot about teaching online and especially this past year during the pandemic, a lot of people are struggling and trying to figure out how to do that because they weren't able to teach face to face. And so I know that um, you now have a program that's, I think, around seven weeks. It's like a mentorship program where you support groups to teach online in this more, this this way that you're speaking about that that is about deep learning, about deep connections, about deep relationships in small group form, and really looking at how do you uh, support these experiences together. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about this mentorship program. Yeah, so the, the program is called Transformational Teaching Online. And its genesis is, is kind of interesting as well because what, you know, and it really speaks to this experimentation approach that, that we've been working with is, um, so over the first four years of our company from 2015 till, till the end of 2019, we spent a lot of time working with other individuals and organizations to support their programs and to kind of experiment through them around how to create uh, experiences with a very deep level of connection and communication. And we got to a point towards the end of 2019 where we felt like we'd kind of plateaued our capacity to experiment through other people. And we had we had a lot of ideas for how we wanted to do things that also were difficult to do through other people because we were kind of limited by just by like a particular person or organization's energy way of doing things like they've been, they, you know, they've been teaching for many, many years. So it wasn't quite appropriate to try things in a completely different way and, and to experiment through them in this way. So we kind of came to a point where like, you know, we, we should create our own course. And it was, it was a big decision for us, you know, cause we were like, ah, oh, well, do we really have an audience for this? And, but we're like, you know, we're going to just experiment and <laughs> just, we're just going to experiment. So we, we kind of took everything we learned over the last, um, really over the last 10 years, because Natasha and I have been working with small groups in one way or another since 2011. And we put together the first cohort of our program in early 2000, uh, 2020, just before the pandemic. And we had 10 people in the first cohort. So it was very much a pilot. And COVID hit exactly halfway through the, our first cohort. And it was, it was amazing. It was really, the, the experience was really, really profound. The people came through it, you know, everyone got a lot of value and, and felt like the experience touched them deeply. And so since then, we've, we've run five cohorts. All right, I think we have just under 200 alumni now. Our last cohort is just completing this week uh, with, I think, 65 people. And, and the experience has been really amazing in, in the way that it's really allowed us to take um, it's really allowed us to have an experimental space that's entirely ours. It's allowed us to involve 
all of these people in the experiment. And that's been really enriching for everybody is that we're very open about like, this is a, you know, we're actively engaging in, in this experiment around how do you create, you know, transformational experiences online. And, and so what, what the course really offers is first, it just offers people a direct experience of what's possible online. You come through this experience and you really, you have a direct experience of something that I think for most people, they just don't think it's possible online. There's just this incredible quality that's palpable of the space between the people in, in the experience. And then it just really deconstructs that because it, it, there's a constant kind of meta reflection in the experience of like, what is, what is happening and what that's creating. And so there's the experience of what happens on Zoom calls and specifically, you know, how different processes are used in, in the, that environment to create intimacy and really open up a space of presence and connection and commitment. And then similar to, to that in the online discussion space and the text-based space. And then with individual assignments. And so really looking at how those aspects flow into each other over time to create an experience that builds on itself and creates a very deep level of, of awareness and connection between, between all of the participants. And then the, the, the last aspect of the program is because many of the participants are in themselves very talented facilitators in one way or another. So the, many of the, we have people kind of with all ranges of experience passing through the program. Some people have literally decades of experience, either like teaching or holding space in one way or another. And some people are, they're just, they're just brand new. But because of the nature of the program, everyone has an opportunity to, to hold space and kind of model how they hold space. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest things that contributes is, is the way that people through each other discover what it means to hold space and how they can hold space in their own way and the possibility of kind of creating an environment that invites a very deep quality of listening and presence. Well, it sounds wonderful, and I haven't experienced it yet, but um, I'm very tempted here. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wonderful! Really, really wonderful. Um, is there something that I have not asked you yet, or that you would like to share with our audience? Hmm. Oh, you put me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to share so much love with your audience. You know, I'm I'm really grateful <laughs> to to be here with you, Raquel, and I'm. I'm always so touched by your quality of listening. I mean, you're just, uh, I mean, I know this is like directly in your line of work, but I feel like I learn something every time I'm in presence with you just by the quality of, of your listening. And yeah, and so I'm, I'm very grateful for that and grateful for our conversation today. Well, thank you so much for being with me. And I love um, the work that you're doing. And so keep going. And if people are interested in contacting you or getting in touch or want to take this, the Transformational Teaching online program, um, how do they find you? Sure. So our website is sutra.co, S-U-T-R-A dot C-O. People can also just email me directly. So my name is Lorenz, L-O-R-E-N-Z. And the email address is Lorenz at sutra.co. And then the program itself, um, we're not exactly sure when we're going to run the next cohort, but the, the link to it is transformation.sutra.co. Great. Thank you, Lorenz. And I really am happy to have, have I am happy <laughs> that you were with me on this podcast on Listen In. Yeah. Thank you, Raquel. It's such a, such a pleasure and really an honor to, to connect with you here. Thank you.
I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope that you were inspired by this episode of Listen In. So now's the time for you to grow your listening superpower so that you can have lasting impact. I'll be launching a new workshop in May of 2021. This workshop will be experiential, it will be in person, well, on Zoom, and we'll learn and practice seven listening superpowers that really work, proven by science. If you go to my website now at www.listeningalchemy.com, you can sign up there and I'll keep you updated on when the dates are. Let me know that you heard about this workshop on my podcast and you'll get a 30% discount. Also, subscribe and like this podcast, sharing it with others so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. A big thank you to Evo T-Man for producing the music, Cecilia Mercado for getting the podcast set up, and Betsy Johnson for her amazing artwork. Enjoy listening in. Listening in.